fromtheravens.com. You Might Be a Boy Mom If by Amy M. March 14, 2019. You might be a boy mom if your bathroom smells like a subway elevator in July. On subway elevators in July. I once took four boys through the subway systems of Boston after a grueling day of doctor's appointments for Jack. We finished a long day of hospital doings, then walked several blocks up Longwood Avenue. The subway doors had a habit of closing as I wrestled a stroller with an angry toddler up and into the train while the terrified eyes of my other children watched from the train. We traveled through downtown toward Hatchell Theater to watch an outdoor symphony. I love music. I adore the arts. But this was not a trip meant for cultural enrichment. We simply needed to get to the performance in order to get a ride home from the Bearded Wonder, who was filming the event and who, at the time, had our only vehicle. The boys were loud, wriggly, and rambunctious. Angry glares forced us away from the performance and onto a five-hour-long walk in the stifling July humidity. Fast forward to midnight, the concert is over, and we need to, again, take the subway to the car. This is when I realized that subway elevators double as a urinal for the homeless. The red metal doors closed around me and my little family. The acrid fumes of ammonia singed my nostril hairs. The elevator hesitated as if to ensure that I was fully aware of the depravity of human condition and how much it endured in its meager existence. Panic. Boys, my voice is calm but tipped with fear. Don't touch anything. Clang, click, click. Click, the blessed box descends, and we are on our way to the train. Hey out there, Mommy Land. This is Mom Unfiltered. I am your host, Jacqueline. Today, we get to chat with Amy Marquise, this mom of four boys and one princess epitomizes perseverance. She and her husband and children have been on an adventure that only God could orchestrate. She has seen all the sides of motherhood, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the truly blessed. She and her husband are talented cinematographers and photographers. Amy captured my heart with her blog from theravens.com where she can transport you into her story with her words and the imagery in her writing is nothing less than a true gift from God. Please like, share, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. 
And now it's time for our program. How long have you been a mother? Okay, so my oldest is um, 12, and he's going to be 13 in October. Um, so 12 years. 12 years. Yeah. And 12 plus how many other ones? So we have five kids. We've got a two, uh-oh, okay, 12, 10, 6, 3, and two, almost 2. Oh, wow. So we've got our big set and our little set. So you have the teenage toddler thing going yes. on in the house. Yes, it's, it's, yeah, it's real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, that just, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. We can go on and on about that one. Right. <laughs> Were you raised with any spiritual beliefs that um, helped play a part in raising your children? Yes and no. So I was raised um, mostly by my dad, and he had a lot of um, just addictions and struggles with things. Um, but to his credit, like he was really cautious to make sure no matter how stressful or non-functioning our family life was, he told me Bible stories. And I'm just a really big believer that people's stories are what God cares about and that's why he formatted the Bible like just an amalgam of all these different stories so my dad I think understood that and so in his brokenness he would tell me you know just kind of the typical Noah's Ark stories and um, um, he'd tell me about Jesus and tell me these things and because of those early early super early introductions to God's God's big story for mankind. That's that's how I was able to eventually um, find my faith and then use that with my children because I homeschool. I homeschool with eternity in mind. So instead of like, hey, we're going to really emphasize science and math and and all these other great academic things, I decided to to put Christ at the forefront of our everyday. And like, if our kids are educated and well spoken and can carry themselves, that's great. But if they have, if they don't have Christ, then what does it matter? Right. Yeah. So that's that's how I've been able to incorporate that in my mothering. Okay. Awesome. How has <clears throat> having children changed your life? Yeah. <laughs> so well. So I was a young mom. I got married at nineteen, and then I had my first baby at twenty. 21 no I think I was 20 when I had my first one and um prior to that like I was just a kid anyway so who knows what I would have been like as like a real live adult but (laughs) (laughs) so most of my adult life I've been pregnant or nursing or some combination thereof but I inherited my dad's like arrogance Mm -hmm. and um I, I was just really obsessed with everyone needs to know that I'm competent and that I'm intelligent and that I can do everything by myself, like mm-hmm. to just obnoxious, you know, and I didn't let anybody in to see who I really was inside. So I think knowing that, number one, I'm probably never going to sleep again now that I'm a mom, and number two, I can't do everything well, and I can't do everything to the level of perfect, perfection that I really want to do, mm-hmm. and 
also, you know, having kids is like, it, what is it? Um, letting your heart walk around outside of your body. You're just, mm-hmm. you're completely vulnerable. Everyone's going to know how flawed you are because they just look how your kid's peeing in the yard at church again <laughs> or something, you know? Like, so it's, it humbled me to the point of being a nice person mm-hmm. because I don't think I would have been. Mm-hmm. I think I would have been very efficient and probably a little bit terrifying, but I don't think I would have been kind and humble. (laughs) So one of your uh, children um, put you in a tailspin. Yes. So can you tell us about that? Yeah. So we had um, our first two children pretty young and um, we were in youth ministry and life was going, you know, it was hard, but it was like normal hard. And then we had our third son and he was born with a rare heart disease and had um, an open heart surgery, which created another rare heart disease, which then uh, landed him in hospice and just put our whole family into a series of um, crazy events where we had to decide to take him off of hospice and move across the country to a hospital that could maybe um, try to tackle his disease and give him some more, some more time. So. We've spent, he's six years old now, and that was whenever he was an infant. So we went over to live in Boston, Massachusetts for five years. And um, most of that time we just spent trying to keep chemo in his body because the chemotherapy was what um, the hospital was trying to use on this heart disease to tackle the the vein overgrowth. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of been our our waking moments uh, has been how do we keep this kid alive but now he's like a normal kid and he's doing super well he has a a really damaged heart so we've always got this worry in the back of our minds about him but um yeah so that was really wow I think that's the quickest I've ever told his story <laughs> man I got it down <laughs> you do, you do. You got it's like my elevator pitch right. sheesh that's a good one <laughs> you got it down you got it down that's funny yeah because there's so many facets mm-hmm. to that story and 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 how um you just became an advocate for even yeah. other parents whose children were were going through this so you know, God really put, he gave you a story. Right. Yeah. An amazing story. Um, so if anything, what would you do different? About what we had gone through? About being a mom. About being a mom. I wish, so I was never around kids growing up. I was around my, um, my dad and my little sister and then occasionally we might see a baby pass us by in the stroller in the mall or something so mm-hmm. it really was this whole world of of I don't you know I wasn't around pregnant women I wasn't around babies I I literally was raised by a man in a gunsmith shop with men so I think I wish I had gotten into motherhood without this like I'm going to be the mom that I didn't have you know, um, mentality, yeah. which which made me just really hard on myself for too too long. Mm-hmm. So I have to be perfect. The house has to be perfect. My meals have to be perfect. The kids have to look perfect. Like this this obsession with I'm not a good mom if mm-hmm. fill in the blank. You know, I'm not a good mom if my children don't behave well in public, or I'm not a good mom if um, I don't even know. And I would just recreate whatever the scenario was for that day. Mm-hmm. And that, and then I just held on to that for so long. 
but ha actually having little Jack, who's the one that with the heart disease, made me realize that it's all out of control anyways. So right. just do your best every day. Like, I wish I figured that out earlier. I think my oldest two suffered my um, energy <laughs> for perfection. And, and I'm still trying to teach them that it's okay to make mistakes and to have grace with themselves because I didn't have that grace early on. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you have four boys and yes. one little girl. Yeah. And how's that dynamic in your house? So, um, and I, act, I thought that I was just making this up, but apparently it's a thing where when you have multiple boys, like big families are chaotic, but when you have lots of boys, the testosterone just mounts and they just feed off of each other. So mm. the chaos just grows. <laughs> <laughs> Your toys are coming mommy, to life. Mommy life, random toys. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, so our house is crazy. Everything gets broken. Um, we can't shop at Ikea anymore because they break everything. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the dynamic is just chaos. But it's a lot of fun. And and I was a tomboy growing up. So I, I feel like I'm in my element with the boys. And then when we found out we were pregnant with the, our little girl, Anna, we didn't know her gender. Um, and I was like, yeah, you know, we're going to have, we're going to have five boys. That's a lot of bragging rights. And um, we're already in boy mode. So, so I just assumed I was going to have a boy. And when she was born and my husband's like, um, it's a girl, like losing his mind. Cause he didn't tell me that he had been wanting a little girl all of his life. Oh my goodness. Which is so cute. <laughs> Um, that was a wonderful present for It was him. a wonderful, and for me too, like, mm -hmm. um, I was able to get a lot of redemption from having a little girl, mm -hmm. um, because I, my mom had, you know, some struggles in her life or when she was an, a young mom with me and she wasn't able to be there for me. So, um, so I was like transported into this, it was really sweet. It was like God had brought me back in time to see little Amy and to hold little Amy and to kind of pour into this new baby girl who obviously wasn't me but felt she looked a lot like me and it felt like I was able to nurture the parts of me that didn't get nurtured because oh, wow. I didn't have my mom mm -hmm. you know and my dad was um, a dad and he was <laughs> gone working and so it was a really sweet thing so then having her in the house with all of these wild crazy hooligan boys who just make weapons out of everything and are just always so crazy um she has this really settling gentling effect on them and like if she comes out wearing a little tutu that she put on they just all lose their minds they're like oh she's so cute <laughs> and they're they're they just love her and they dote on her and i just it's she, she's good medicine for our craziness <laughs> That's yeah. good. Yeah. The balancer. She's the balancer. Yes, I think so. Um, what was your greatest come to Jesus moment as a mom? I think a lot of women go through, I mean, just women, not even just moms, go through a lot of hormonal, emotional depression, you know, just imbalances. Like, just our chemistry is just it's not nice. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. It's just bound to happen. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then with that, I think there's a lot of guilt associated with, um, postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. Um, like I should be happy. Why am I not happy? Um, so I, I had come to Jesus. I feel like I've come to Jesus 
different times in my life and in different ways. And I feel like I've come to the foot of the cross and accepted Christ in a new way as a new creation so many different times. But as a mom, when I, um, when I accepted that I was not able and only God was able because my depression had become so debilitating after my second one was born. And like you, and you had mentioned, um, mine had lasted just so long. It just drags on and on Mm -hmm. and you're just not able, you know, it's not laziness. It's not, um, apathy. You're just not able. And Mm -hmm. so, um, I had been super isolated and I really wanted everyone to know I was competent and that I could do this mom thing. Um, so I just kept burying it and then it lasted longer. And so when I was able to finally, um, swallow my pride and confess in my shy way to these, um, these women, at a women's Bible study at the church we were going to at the time, I was able to finally just kind of say, I just can't feel alive anymore. And I just shared I shared how I wanted to kill myself. Like I was just Mm -hmm. way more open than I even thought I would be. And I, and then it just came out and I was prayed over and released from that, that day after, yeah, it was Mm -hmm. amazing. And it was, it was, it was God saying, see, I do miracles and you don't have to wait. You didn't have to wait. Like Mm -hmm. this could have happened a long time ago. And that was a beautiful moment. And it was really humbling to know that, um, I cannot and I should not do this mom thing alone because I'm not enough, you know? And so that was, there's been a lot of really cool things that God has shown me through being a mom, but that one really pops out to me. Like you just can't do it alone. It's too Mm -hmm. much. It's absolutely too much. Yeah. So what would you say if, um, there's a single mom listening here? Cause you have your husband. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and you have a good community of women now. Yeah. What would you tell her um, how she can get through? Yeah, so, and that's that's the thing. After having been raised by a single parent um, without community, we were really isolated. Like, if we had a problem, we kept it to ourselves, and we just festered. And so, for a single mom out there, um, first of all, I just don't know how you do it. And, and second of all, without God and without an um, active and kind group of women who are ready to hear you, ready to listen and be kind, but then ready to turn around and challenge you, I don't think that you can find that peace that you need to be the best mom you can be and to be the best person you can be to thrive when you um, are probably st- struggling or striving. You could be thriving. Um finding and that's that's the thing of it like you can go to a women's bible study you can go to really awesome mom groups but you have to find your people Mm -hmm. and um people you trust and you can you get you got to interview people and you've got to be ready to fire the wrong ones because Mm. who who informs your decision making is who you need to put in your circle and you only have enough space for a certain amount of people in your circle right and so yeah that's what i would say just You've got to be in community because it's just too hard alone. Yeah, I love that. You got to interview and you got to be willing to fire people. Mm-hmm. You hear that, ladies? <laughs> Sometimes we have some women in our lives a little bit too long. They need to be fired, mm-hmm. and you need to get people around that are going to support you. Um, what do you think your life would be like? You said it a little bit um, earlier. 
if you did not receive the gift of motherhood? Um, yeah. So I was raised like every day before I left the house for school, my dad would say, learn lots and be smart and be the first female president. So, (laughs) which was meant to be like, I believe in you, you know, and I, in my obsession for like, I've got to prove to my dad that I'm a great person and that I'm really smart. Um, I took that as a challenge. Like, I'm not going to be anything Mm -hmm. unless I'm something like, and, um, I've got to, I've got to be, have a doctorate and I've got to, uh, write books and I've got to do these things. Um, and, um, I could just see that that was mounting. So by the time I graduated from high school and I was getting ready to go to school and pursue all of my ambitions, um, God had told me, you know, you need to take a chill. You need to calm down because I've got some things to show you. And it was, I took a year off before I went back to, before I went to college. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was, that was whenever I got married instead of going to college and had my first kid, not all within that year, but pretty close to that time frame. Um, so where I was heading was a, um, my identity was wrapped up in what I could do mm-hmm. and what um, how people perceived me, um, and I know that God put the God God put the brakes on that pretty quickly mm-hmm. because being a young mom and my firstborn was really challenging and I didn't know at the time that he had had some was born with some disabilities that made it really difficult for him. Um, he cried all the time. He was just really. Um, hysterical all the time and he had night terrors and he was um angry and he's still an angry person and it was just so that was just a really crazy way to start out you know parenting I thought if I could read enough and if I could study up enough I'm bound to be a good parent Mm -hmm. because you know for me everything was formulaic but then I realized um that I can't I can't just think my way around some situations right yeah so so yeah Wow. Can you tell us a little bit about um, From the Ravens? Yeah, so I write over at fromtheravens.com, and the reason I call it that is um, we were living in the Boston area, receiving um, treatment for my son, and there was really no way to know if he was going to survive the treatment, much less the disease. Like, both of them were equally dangerous. So, um so we went out there and we had our our small family with no income and no house and no no idea like how are we going to pay for this chemo drug how are we going to pay for our groceries how long can we live in this hotel without killing each other like it was just really um from the beginning it was just a, a leap of faith we just went out there and we we had nothing Mm-hmm. Um, and our, our savings, we had cashed out our IRA and it was just dwindling really quickly. And mm-hmm. so we knew from the beginning that God was going to provide, but that it wasn't going to be a comfortable provision. It was going to be like, okay, we're hungry or okay, the rent is due. Um, and then at the 11th hour it would come. So in the Bible, when the, um, prophet Elijah was, um, there was a famine in the land, and um, he, he, it was meant to punish this wicked king and this wicked queen, and those um, 
there was no food, there was no water anywhere, and everyone knew it was his fault, and especially the king knew it. And so this prophet, Elijah, had to hide out in the wilderness, and God said, you hide out in this wilderness, um, there's a spring there, you can drink from the water. And every morning and every night, the ravens are going to come, and they're going to bring the food that you need. And I can't even imagine the ravens coming with something wonderfully delicious being dropped in his lap. I just, you know, it's this carrion bird of prey. So um, that's how we felt. It was always, it was often sparse, and it was always at the last minute, but it always came, and we never knew. Um, we just knew we had to wait and be patient, and we couldn't ever really gather up the manna for that day because it was going to go bad. Right. So. So that was our From the Ravens, and we're just now getting to the point in our life after five plus years of living like that where we feel like we have comfortable provisions and we feel a little bit more normal, um, but for the most part, financially, emotionally, anything, it's been God's provision at the last moment. So for five years, you guys have been on an adventure. Yes. Yes, and, and I don't think adventure is a bad word for it because mm -hmm. adventures are fraught with danger and stress, and, <laughs> but, but they're good, and nobody mm -hmm. wants to read a story about, um, well, they went to the store, then they went home, and then they took a nap. Like, mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. it's not what life's about. Right. Yeah. They want the dragons. They yeah, the that's right. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, your writing is absolutely amazing. I um consider myself a writer until I read your stuff <laughs> but I know we have different writing styles right so if um ladies I would love for you all to go to fromtheravens.com and read um some of Amy's stories because she paints the picture and she transports you right where she is um, um telling her stories and do you have anything about Jack the pulmonary vein stenosis she has something about um, that here a blog and a donating to that yeah so I don't think our donation buttons working it's right not now. working it's not working right now so we have to we have to quickly get that up and running but yeah. what what we're doing what we've done a lot of different things in the past but what we have to do right now mm -hmm. is cause awareness for pulmonary vein stenosis because right. it's it's so little known that there are a lot of physicians out there that are putting babies directly onto hospice without even trying the, the trial program that really is working. And, that, and we were one of the first families to get through the trial and to find out at the end of all of it, it works. Mm -hmm. You know, it's hard and it's not um, ideal, but it works. So, so what we do is we raise money um, for the hospital program mm -hmm. over there, and doggone that stupid button's not working, but we will get Except it up and running. We have to. Yeah. We will. Um, we also, I am not doing it right now, but now that we're getting settled, um, we've made from the Ravens bags for families where we provide, because a lot of people, and you're in the medical field, so mm -hmm. you probably get this, like a lot of people wind up in the hospital and they just weren't expecting that. Like, no, nobody you know, saves up for going right. to the hospital. You, you don't save up for it. You don't pack soap in your backpack when you're mm -hmm. going, you know, it's just not something you're prepared for. And then there are a lot of people who are have kids with leukemia or kids with an ongoing condition where they're mm -hmm. like, okay, we're going to the hospital. We, we need this and that. But there's so many families, and I was one of them, 
um, that suddenly you're in the hospital, you can't go home, you don't have a change of clothes, you can't brush your teeth, you can't get away from your baby because they're projectile vomiting and your nurse can't hold them. Like it's just so much to do. So we create these care package bags um, with a journal and usually an Ann Voskamp book or something like really comforting and um, gum and flip-flops for the gross showers and um, uh, all the toiletries you can think of and mm-hmm. probably too much more. Like these things are packed. And then we'll ship them out to moms of this particular heart disease, uh, pulmonary vein stenosis. So wow. to try to help with that. Yeah. So that's, we're just trying to do whatever we can to kind of ease the craziness of it all. Right. Cause it's absolutely insane. And I just remember when my, my, um, I call her my cousin. Mm-hmm. We were raised from kindergarten through high school and we're still really good friends now, her and the whole family. Um, I just remember the time that she spent in the hospital with her baby. Mm-hmm. Um, he had CHD, I think coronary heart disease, mm-hmm. and uh, he didn't he didn't make it. But um, just you know, being there, yeah, and just living at the hospital and what she had to go through. So I could just imagine somebody coming in with a bag here. Yes, <laughs> yeah, know, it's it's it alleviates rough. some a little worry. Yeah, to have something. So here's my last question. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What is the greatest gift you want to give mothers that are going through what you have been through? I'm pretty sure you've met a lot. Yeah, I think that, yes, (laughs) that's a really good question. Um, The greatest gift that was given to me when I was in the middle of it all was for someone to just say, I don't get what you're going through, but I'm right here and I'm not leaving. And... I think that that's where I want to be and where I've, God has really blessed me to have been here where I can go sit with a mom or even just call a mom or even just accept a text at 2.30 in the morning um, because there's so much stress and so much strain going on. Just being that voice <laughs> um, in the middle of a straining time. Ah, No worries. <laughs> Just going to stay out there. <laughs> So, so yeah, just being, being, coming alongside Uh when someone's going through anything with their kid health wise, it's so, um, it's, it's hell on earth to see your kids suffer. Yeah. And if, if you're alone, you know, your, your nurses are awesome. Your doctors are awesome. And, um, the staff is there to help you. But if you don't have somebody that's really ready to be there with you and walk Mm -hmm. you through it, um, it's too, it's too, too much. It's too much alone. It's absolutely, yeah. Thank you so much for meeting yeah. with me today. It's awesome. We took a lot of time, but thank you. And yes. ladies, we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning into our program. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and leave us a comment. I can't wait to see you all next week on Mom unfiltered.